All right, we'll see you guys later. Hey, thanks for uh, joining us here this morning. It's great to be with you. I want to say thank you to a couple people. First of all, I want to say thank you to Strickland for jumping in and leading us. This was kind of like last minute. We needed somebody, and I was like, please, Strickland, help me. And so, Strickland, you did a great job. So thank you to you and the team for jumping in uh, and giving us some help. Yeah, awesome. So good. And I also want to say thank you to those of you who uh, were a part of our serve day last week, right? We didn't gather the same way, but it was awesome to be able to come here and engage in some projects together that there was, we were able to go into the community um, and different places and just invest. And it was awesome to be the church in a different way than we normally are on Sunday mornings and just be able to see some awesome things happen. For us to be able to come together, to even have a meal together, that was awesome to do that again. And then to be able to just build relationships with one another and bless our community. So thank you to those of you who jumped in and were a part of that last week. If we haven't met, my name's Corey, and I get the honor and privilege of being the lead pastor here at GFC. And so if we haven't met yet, please come and meet me. I would love to get to know you. Like Pastor Andrew said, we would love to have pizza with you next week. If you're around and it's the first time in the last kind of six months or you've only come in the last six months, we would love to connect with you that way. And this morning we're starting a new series as we get into this different kind of year, right? Our kids, we just talked about, we're, we're having them move up. So we're giving them some balloons and we're back into that time of year where schedules kind of get back in motion. There's not that same freedom that we had necessarily in summer, right? Tomorrow's the last official day of summer, right? And so we get back into those schedules. Some of that's good. Some of that's bad. I'm very happy that I was able to watch college football yesterday. That was awesome. And then NFL football is coming, right? But there's also the negative side of now you've got more things you have to be involved in and things get filled up in the schedule again. And as that's happening, we have a new focus, some on kids and families and teachers and what school means and students and all of that kind of stuff. And so as we move into that understanding with that in mind, we're starting this phase called Don't Miss It. And if you were paying attention a few weeks ago, I said, don't miss it. And we were having the conversation about not missing church, not missing what happens here on a Sunday morning because of the growth that you could see in your life and the growth that could come in someone else's life because they've connected with you. And so we're saying don't miss it again because it's just a phase. And so here's what I think is true, that you are going through a phase right now. Every one of us is going through a phase. Every one of us at our point in life, no matter where you are, I'm assuming that that point in life today is probably different than it was five years ago, and it's different than it's going to be in five years, right? Maybe you, in the last five years, maybe you had a different job. You work at a different place now than you did five years ago. Maybe five years ago, you didn't have kids, and now you do. Maybe five years ago, you had kids in your home, and now you don't. Maybe five years ago, you were working on a certain project for work, and now you've moved on to another project for work. And so things look different, and then in five years, things are going to even look more different. Some of us look back at certain phases of life and we really look back fondly on them and some of them maybe we don't because some phases are more difficult than others. Maybe for some of us, right, I'm, if you're a middle school student, I apologize, but I don't think many of us look back on the middle school phase as our favorite phase of life. It was awkward. You were going through weird stuff, right? You don't know who you are. Your friends are trying to figure stuff out. Like you're, who, what? Like parents are like giving you more freedom, but there's still less freedom. And there's kind of this wonky, like, I doubt many of us go, I would want to go back to middle school. So it's just not a phase that we identify with. But maybe the phase you're in now is great. Or maybe the phase you're looking forward to is coming next. 
And so we find ourselves, no matter where we are, we are in a phase, and some phases are more difficult than others. And so we're, we're thinking about that as we process how we invest in those who are in the phase behind us, or in two or three phases behind us. Because here's what I think is true. Everyone needs someone from the phase ahead of them to get them through the phase they're in. Everyone needs someone. It, where, wherever phase you're in, you need somebody in the phase ahead of you to help you get through the phase that you're in. Why do we think that? Well, even when we think about that from a sociological perspective and we start to look at kids and the influence that parents maybe have on them and whether they had a mom and a dad or just one or just the other, we see different struggles that come for them throughout their lives because they didn't have that influence in their life. Why? Because that parent wasn't necessarily there to help them get through that phase. And maybe you've done this in life. Maybe you stepped into a new phase of life and you didn't know what to expect or, or how it was going to play out. So you called somebody or you emailed somebody and you said, I, you've gone through this already. I need to have a conversation with you. And when you had that conversation, you were able to understand what to expect, what questions to ask, how to prepare for it. And walking through that phase with that person helped you because they had gone through it already. And so that's what we want to think about and process over the next month here at GFC. And I believe that every face has a unique opportunity to grow and serve as Jesus did. No matter where you are, you have the opportunity, no matter what phase you're in, to grow and serve as Jesus did. You know, one of the things that's cool, if we look back at Jesus's life, there's a story where Jesus gets quote unquote lost as a child. And mom and dad kind of leave town and they leave without Jesus. I mean, at that moment, it's kind of like, man, I was given the son of God and I forgot him, right? Not the best opportunity or best uh, situation probably for Mary and Joseph. But Jesus was found in the temple, teaching and having conversation with other religious leaders. And why was he doing that? Because even though he was a young kid, we assume he was about 12 or 13, even though he was about that age, he was a phase ahead because he knew God so well. He was ahead of the other teachers that were there. And so even at that young age, he was investing in, and he had a unique opportunity to invest in those who were a phase behind him, and he continued to do that through every step. And I would say that in every phase of your life, you have the opportunity to help somebody else do the same if you're a Christ follower. So that's what we're going to challenge you to do this month. We're going to challenge you to figure out what phase you're in and how you help those who are in the phases behind you continue to follow Jesus well. Or if it's the, a situation where you know somebody who doesn't know Jesus, how you invite them into a relationship with Jesus and begin to follow him. And so as we have this conversation, there's going to be a color that might show up every once in a while. And that color is the color orange. Okay. And so, so for some of you, when we start to talk about kids ministry and we say the color orange, it's like, well, why orange? Why would we have that color? And when I was in student ministry, um, some people knew that orange was my favorite color. Orange is my favorite color. And some people simply thought that we named our kids' curriculum orange because my favorite color was orange. That's not the reason we named it orange. In fact, orange is a curriculum that we use here at church, and many churches use it. Many of our sister churches use it um, in our fellowship. And the reason that we use orange is because of this. And we have a graphic that we can 
throw up on the screen here for you to see. And so when you, if you want to get orange right, we know this from elementary school art class, you put yellow and red together. And we put yellow and red together because we think that combining the influence of home and church will have a greater impact on the students and kids that we're investing in. And so the home is red because of love, right? Red is the color of love, right? Valentine's Day, a bunch of pinks and reds show up. So that's the red. And the church gets to be yellow because the church represents the light of the world. And so we, when you put those two things together, we would say that we want the church and the home, the, the leaders in your kids' ministry and the parents that are coming and dropping their kids off to work together to have the greatest influence on our kids. What we don't want is we don't want them to, us to simply think as parents that we can just drop our kids off and then say, okay, great, you do the spiritual development of my kids and I'll pick them up later. That's not the goal. The goal would be for us to work together as a church and as a family to be able to have the greatest influence on our kids. Why? Because they're a phase or two or three behind us and we want them to understand how to follow Jesus at the phase that we're at. And so we're going to invest time into that. So then we maybe you'll ask this question, well, why are we talking about kids? Why, are we, why would we set aside a whole month to say we're going to spend time from the platform to preach about kids. Why would we invest so much time? And, and the reason behind that is because we would say that we invest in children and students. It's a commitment that we have that we would invest in them, that it would be a church-wide understanding and goal that we would invest in children and students because we see them as so important. And I would even say that one of the greatest things that we could ever do as a church is to hand our faith off to the next generation. I mean, really, when you think about it, you get to the point where if we want GFC to still be around like 100 years from now, we have to not only hand our faith off to the next generation, but we have to teach them how to hand their faith off to the next generation. Because in order for it to continue, we have to do a good job of helping them understand how to follow Jesus in their faith. And another way to think about this would simply be to say that we believe discipleship is the call of every believer. Discipleship is leading someone who's a phase behind you into the next phase. It's looking at someone and say, I've been following Jesus for longer than you, or I'm closer in my relationship, or we have a deeper relationship with God, and I'm going to invite you to do the same. And so we believe that we invest in kids and students because we are committed to discipleship. So all of that to say, I want to I dig into a scripture today. We're going to go to one chapter in the Bible, and we're going to go through basically the whole chapter. We're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You can follow along. You can open your Bible. You can open your phone, open your tablet. You can go to our website if you want, which is mygracefamily.church, and you can go to a follow along tab. You'll find all the verses there. You'll find all the notes there. And you can even email the notes to yourself. And so we'll go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 1. It says, You should know this, Timothy. This is Paul talking. He wrote this to Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. Now let's, let's time out here before we continue on in this passage. I would just simply ask this question. Have you seen the things that we're already reading 
around us in the world. And I don't mean like, this isn't a commentary on the culture outside of us. In fact, when I just simply look at verse 3, it says they will be unloving and unforgiving. I'll be honest, I've seen, and not necessarily specific people in our church, but I've seen followers of Jesus and non-followers of Jesus be unloving and unforgiving. I've seen that. Uh, They will slander others and have no self-control. I've seen non-Christians and Christians slander others, and I've seen Christians and non-Christians have no self-control. I've seen Christians and non-Christians be cruel and hate what is good. So when we read this, it would be easy for us to maybe read it and go, oh yeah, those people outside of the church, like they do that, but not us. I don't think we can simply just make that claim and not read this verse and say, we need to check ourselves and understand that this is not what we're to be doing either. Let's go on to verses 4 and 5. It says, they will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. And then he makes this switch. And this is why I say we have to think about this in our lives too. He says, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. It says they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. What what does that mean? It means that there were people that could say the right things and do the right things, but they never actually had a life change. They could show up and they could go through the motions and they could maybe sing the songs and they knew the verses and they stayed out of trouble. And yet there was never real life change that happened in them that made them more godly, that allowed God to make the changes in their lives so that they would look more like him. And Paul's very clear in his message to Timothy, stay away from people like that. What Paul is asking Timothy to do in this beginning portion of the passage is he's he's asking him to be able to discern right from wrong. He's asking him to be able to look at the world around him, to look at the people around him, and to recognize these bad things or things that he shouldn't be doing, to recognize even the people that seem religious but aren't actually following Jesus, and to say, I'm going to figure that out, and I'm going to make sure that I don't spend too much time with those people. And this isn't about separation and just being like, well, I'm going to stay away from all the bad people and not tell them about Jesus. But what he's saying is don't let them be the influence on your life. Don't let them have a stake in who you are. Don't let them tell you who you are or who to be. But find your identity in another way, and we'll see that in the coming verses. But what I would say as we think about this idea of discernment is that discernment is more difficult today than ever before. Why is that? Well, when, when Timothy would have been reading this message from Paul, he would have only had to discern the people that he actually saw face to face. It would have been, you know, at school and in the marketplace and at church and and getting to know the people around him and getting to know who they were and then saying, okay, how do I know whether these people are doing the right things or I see this going on in the world around me and I stay away. But he would have actually had to, with his eyes, or read about it on a paper. Like, he would have had to see, really, for the most part, the people that he was trying to discern. We don't have to see the people that we have to discern anymore. In fact, we can watch them on TV. We can see them on our Instagram and Facebook feeds, and we can have to think through whether or not this person who I've never met before, who I don't know their credentials, I don't know where they're from, I don't know their background, should they have a say in how I live my life or how I process information? And, And I would just be honest, like I've had trouble with this. There's been times where I read up on a certain topic and I make a decision and I think, okay, I know 
the information I'm supposed to know. Um, I've read it. I've figured it out. I've looked at people that I trust and, and what they think and how they process this. And I've decided this is, this is where I land on this topic or this thing. And then I get one video or one article that comes through my feed and all of a sudden I question everything. Have you had that happen? Like, well, this person says this and maybe this side and they have this evidence and they have, and all of a sudden in that moment, I have to be really good at making sure that I remember what did I process? How did I figure this out in the first place? Why am I trusting XYZ person I've never met before? But our brains sometimes want to go to the place where we would say, well, that person posted this or wrote this or recorded this. And all of a sudden now that gives our brain this idea that we're going to go in an odd direction that we weren't going to go to before. You know, I, I saw somebody who was uh, my age post something about this one time. And I don't say this to be disparaging to anybody. It was really a joke. But he said, you know, those of us who grew up and had to be like, we started using the Internet. So I still remember it. Right. Go back to what I said about middle school. I, there was dial up Internet. OK. I said that to Pastor Andrew one day. He had no idea what I was talking about. So that's how old I am. And I remember my parents yelling at me to get off the internet because they couldn't get a phone call. Okay? Say that to a kid today. They're like, what? Like they have no idea what that means. And one of the things that our parents would say to us was don't believe everything you read on the internet. And this person was jokingly saying, I feel like today my parents believe everything they read on the internet. Because there's this difficulty, it's this, there's, you just get bombarded with information and ideas and opinions from all over. And so discernment today, not just for kids, but for everybody, is difficult. And Paul is saying to Timothy, we have to be good at this. We have to recognize and be good at recognizing right from wrong and understanding how to do that. And what I would say to us then as people in a certain phase of life, thinking about the kids and students that we're involved with, is that they're asking very difficult questions in life and they're having to do this discernment too. And so some of the questions that kids and young adults are asking, I'm just going to we're going to put up on the screen here, but one of the first things they may ask is, do I have what it takes? Why would they ask that? Because everybody that's good at something is already on the internet and everybody knows it. So if they're good at soccer, right? They think, "Oh, in my realm, I am good at soccer." They can find someone else in 30 seconds on YouTube who's better. And so now all of a sudden, as good as they were, they're not so good anymore. And so they ask that question, do I have what it takes to actually be something in this arena? They would ask, who am I? And we're not going to dig into this idea too much, but just think about the fact that there's this idea of gender fluidity. And they've got to ask the question, like, this is on the table now. And that wasn't on the table 20 years ago. And so now they're asking the question, who am I? And this idea of gender fluidity is a part of that conversation for them. Why should I believe? Why should I believe you? Why should I believe XYZ source? Why should I do this? One of the first things I do every time someone recommends something to me is I say, who wrote it? Or who, where are they from? Or what are their credentials? Is it worth actually thinking about? Do I trust the person who wrote it or said it? And they're saying the same thing. And then the last question they might ask is, how can I matter? How can I make an influence on the world? How can I actually do something that's worthwhile? All the while being told from all these different resources and all these different places around the world of what they're supposed to think or how they're supposed to matter. What I would say is that we, as those in the phases ahead, need to be 
good at discerning because the people in the phases behind us are looking at us to be able to discern well. And when we don't discern well, we don't teach the kids and the teenagers and whoever it is in the phases behind us to be able to discern well. And they're looking to us to be able to do that. And let's go back to the passage. We're going to go to 2 Timothy. We're going to jump down to verse 10 because Paul actually gives us the answer to how we do this well. And in verse 10, he says this, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. So what's the answer that Paul gives us? He says, you you know this because you know me. Timothy, you're not going to be caught off guard by this stuff because you know what I believe. You know what I've taught you. He says, he even goes so far as this. He says, and you know what my purpose in life is. Is there someone who's a phase behind you who knows what your purpose in life is? Here's, here's the more difficult question, maybe. That means we have to know what our purpose in life is and able to hand it down. So there's a, there's a deep connection here that, that Paul says, you know me. And because you know me, you can trust what you were taught and you see how it has impacted my life. This is the answer that Paul gives us, that we should be building these types of relationships with people the way that he built that relationship with Timothy. Verse 11, he goes on to say, You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Verses 12 and 13. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. See, what's important to notice too is that that Paul is not just giving Timothy all rainbows and butterflies. He's saying, if you you take the same path as me, you might get persecuted. In fact, in this time frame, probably would have been persecuted. He says, if you go this path, you're going to see some things that are not going to make you happy. You're going to see some bad people have a really easy time, and it's not going to be easy. But again, the relationship that Paul has with Timothy, he's able to say to him, you understood what I went through? And I've gone through that phase. I've walked through this before. And so I'm showing you how to walk through that phase. I'm showing you how to get from here to there. Maybe you've done this before with with a sickness. Maybe you received a diagnosis or you know somebody that received a diagnosis. And so they reached out to somebody who had also received that diagnosis a year ago, two, five, ten years ago. And why did you do that? Because you knew the road was going to be hard. And so you sat down with them and you said, what do I need to know? How do I get through this? And because they were willing to have that conversation with you, you felt a little bit more at ease knowing that they had made it through. That's exactly what Paul is saying to Timothy. And what Paul did is Paul invested in Timothy because Paul was a phase ahead of Timothy. He recognized that he had the wisdom, he had what Timothy needed And he stepped into Timothy's life because he knew that he was able to lead him through the phase that he was in. One of the things that I I will always remember, um, as I was in a conference one day, I think it was just a one-day thing, and the person that was speaking, this is what they said. They said, kids and students gravitate to the oldest person in the room who takes them seriously. The person in the room who doesn't think they're silly who doesn't think they're annoying, 
who doesn't think they're frustrating, who doesn't think they're not worth it. It says when, when there's an older person, a person phase two, three, four phases ahead of them, who's willing to look at them and take them seriously, kids and students gravitate to that. Why? Because they, they're hungry for that too. They want somebody who's ahead of them to be invested in them. They want somebody who's ahead of them to care about them. They want somebody that's ahead of them to take the time to want to be around them. And if you grew up in church, I'm willing to bet that there was somebody that you can think of when you were a kid who was an adult who invested in you. I'm willing to bet that there's someone that you you remember their name, whether they were a coach or a Sunday school teacher or, or a pastor or a youth leader or, or whatever, and they took the time to say, I, I believe that this is true, and I think that you are important, and I love you, and so I'm going to invest in you. And in all likelihood, there's somebody that did that for you. And the question is simply, who invested in you? There's a, there's a principle that's come up um, in the last decade or so in research on how kids that grow up in church end up actually staying in church when they become adults and when they can make the decision to be in church as an adult. And usually when we think about ratios, one of the things that comes to mind as, as a former uh, youth pastor and a teacher is, is like the ratio of children to chaperone or children to youth leader or children to teacher, right? Because you know if the ratio gets too big, if there's too many kids to one teacher or to one youth leader or to one chaperone, you're going to feel overwhelmed, right? If I showed up one day, like one of the most, one of the things that went to my brain the most and made me have to rack my brain the most was one time I was in charge of a mission trip and we took a trip into New York City. I think there were four staff and 30 kids. Yeah, I don't know how I got out of there without losing any kids, but I didn't. So I was happy about that. But it was one of those things where like you team up with an adult, you make sure you stay together. We had some, Most of them had cell phones, we figured it out, and then we, we did it. Because this, the ratio was, was far too many students to adults. But we made it work. But there's another ratio that's come up as we think about this idea of moving kids and keeping them wanting to be in a relationship with Jesus as they become to adults. And that ratio is five to one. But it's the opposite of what you're thinking. It's not five students to one adult. It's five adults to one student or one child. And so statistically, what people have figured out over the last decade is that the kids that actually do stay in church when it becomes their choice of whether or not to continue in their relationship with Jesus and continue to have a relationship with the local church, it means that they can look back and they can make a list. And there would be at least five adults on their list that invested in them as children and as students. And parents, this does not include you. So take out two parents. If there's two parents involved, take out two parents, and there still needs to be five other people. If I wrote this list, and I've, I've done it a few times, I, I landed about seven or eight. That's my average. Those are the people that I identify as the people that took the time to invest in me as a kid or as a student. And if I look back and I, I think about my friends that I knew as a kid, who aren't involved in their relationship with Jesus or involved with the local church anymore, I would question, and I kind of look back and I kind of can see, like, I don't think they had that many adults 
who stepped in and invested in them. So you see why this becomes kind of an all-church focus. You see why this becomes so important. Because when we think about the number of kids that are downstairs currently or the number of students that will be here on a Wednesday night, that number multiplied by five is more than the people in this room. So that means we need to show up for them. We need to be investing in them. We need to be showing up in ways that they don't expect and saying that we care about them in a deep way because we want them to understand that it's worth it to continue to follow Jesus in the next phase of life. And they'll believe that because they see it in us. That's actually what Paul says in in verse 14. He says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. He says, you know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. Trust is gained through relationship, right? If someone showed up and taught one time, maybe you'd, you'd believe them. But when someone shows up and teaches and shows you what they believe by the way that they live, you start to believe them more. Maybe you had a teacher like this. I had a teacher like this. Um, his name was Nick. Well, I didn't call him Nick back then, but I can call him Nick today. I My senior year, what happened to me was um, I got stuck in pre-calculus when I shouldn't have. I am not a math person, okay? I keep letters out of math, okay, and I'll be okay. I could do geometry. I could not do algebra. And I was, my senior year, I was signed up to take a history class, which I do much better in. And all of a sudden, there, there weren't as many kids that signed up for that class. I think maybe it was like seven kids that had signed up to take that class. And they decided to cancel it because there weren't enough of us. And we, I don't know, they needed a teacher to teach something else. Well, the rule in the school was you could only have one study hall. No matter what, you could only have one study hall. Therefore, I had to take another class, even though I didn't need the credits, and that class happened to be pre-calculus. And I was like, this is not good. Um, I don't understand this. I need to pass this in order to play soccer, which is not going to be very possible, and I have to try and figure this out. Well, the good thing was the teacher in that class was Nick, and Nick knew that about me. And he understood, like he got me, and and he didn't, it's not like he gave me a free pass. It wasn't a situation where he just said, oh, just show up and I'll give you the grades, right? That wasn't the goal. I had to do my best. I had to work hard. I had to pay attention. I had to work on the homework. I had to do the stuff. But he said, listen, if you just put yourself forward, like do the work, I will help you. And I remember that. Because he didn't look at me and say, you know what? Tough luck, those are the rules, and I'm going to teach my class, and you try and keep up. That wasn't the goal. The goal was, let's get you through this because you don't need the credits, and you shouldn't be here anyway. It was luck of bad luck that you ended up here. I will help you. And that meant something to me, even as a 17-year-old, because it wasn't just about the information. It was about the relationship that he had with me and helping me get through as a student. That's what Paul is saying here to Timothy, he's saying, you know that you can trust the things that were taught to you because you trust the people who taught you. And because when you look at their lives, you see that they're not the people that Paul talked about earlier who just look religious, but they actually believe what Jesus said and they live that way and they allow God to make changes in their lives. That they don't just say things and do things to look religious, but they would actually see those changes happen in their lives, and we could see that, and, the, and that Timothy could see that, and he trusted them because of it. 
Verse 15 says this, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from trusting Christ Jesus. Verse 16, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Verse 17, And God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. He says, what are we committed to? We're committed to teaching kids and students scripture, what's true. But the difficult thing is we have to be able to show that we believe it through our lives so that they trust us in the next phase when they have to decide whether or not to believe it themselves. When they have to figure out their discernment of whether they should be this or should be that, depending on what people are telling them and what they see as they scroll through their feeds. And the difficult part of this, I think the most difficult part is we may never see the ROI. We may never see the return on investment. I've been in a lot of situations where there have been students that have been difficult to deal with. They don't want to be there. They don't want to listen. They don't want to learn. They just want to go do what they want to do. And it's difficult to look at those kids because you show up and you say, I'm, I'm going to invest in you, I'm going to invest in you, I'm going to invest in you. And all you get back is more frustration. And you look at the other kids and you say, like, those kids want to be here. Like, can I just spend time with them? Can I just invest all my energy in them? Like, that's the temptation. Why? Because the difficult thing is a lot of times when we invest in kids and students, we don't see the return on investment right away. They don't all the time show up the next week or show up the next year and say thank you for what you did. They don't recognize the time and the effort and the energy that you put into being there. They don't see all those things. And in fact, sometimes they'll push back against those things because they don't even want to be there. But one day, one year, one time, maybe they'll remember what you said. Or maybe they'll remember the way that you showed up, or maybe they'll remember what you did in that situation, and one day down the road, they'll think of you and recognize when they're older the investment you made. I don't say this as like a warning or to to put our expectations in a certain place, but I just want us to see, especially if we are currently invested in a child's life, that doesn't always work the next day. But at some point, we may learn and understand the way that God used that investment to mold their lives later. And what I believe is that adults who invest in the lives of children and students will impact the kingdom of God for generations to come. I don't know the name of the person who led Billy Graham to Jesus. I'm sure somebody does because somebody has to have done that work. I don't know that name. But think about the return on investment. Now, I'm not saying there's a Billy Graham downstairs right now, right? Who knows? But I'm just saying, at some point, there may be a time, maybe when you get to heaven, that someone says, well, you told this person about Jesus, who told this person, who told this person, who told this person, and they told me. You didn't know that, right, when you were on earth, but you get that information later. The investment that we will make as a church family on the next generation will impact the kingdom of God for generations to come. And so the last question is this, who will see the return on your investment? You don't know. I don't know. We can never know. 
who will see the return on our investment for sure. But we have to be willing to make the investment. A few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I, I, I said this to you. I said, I don't know what I will miss, but I don't want to miss it. I don't know what I'm going to miss. I don't know what I'm going to miss by, by not being in church. I, I don't know what that's going to mean, but I don't want to miss it. And I think that it would be very easy to walk away from this conversation or to think about the conversation that we're having over the next month and just kind of go, you know, I don't really love kids that much. Like, I don't know what I want to do with that. I don't know that I have the time. I don't know that I have the energy. I don't know what I have to do to be able to do this, but I'm not sure I can do it. And what I would say is the challenge as we, as we think about to start to have this conversation is simply this. How do you look at the phase that you're in and help someone in the phase behind you? I'm not saying that we're trying to get everybody to sign up for preschool leadership, right? That's not the goal. But the goal is for us to say that we would think about the phases behind us and how we can help people move forward. So if you're a great grandparent, you're thinking about the grandparents. If you're a grandparent, you're thinking about the parents. If you're a parent, you're thinking about your kids. If you're a high schooler, you're thinking about middle schoolers. If you're a middle schooler, you're thinking about preschoolers or elementary schoolers. If you've been at your job for five years, you're thinking of the new hire. If you have been a Christian your whole life, but you know somebody who became a Christian yesterday, you're thinking about that person. It doesn't always have to be that there are, it's, a, it's a kid, it's someone under 18 that we're investing in, but that we would make the conscious decision to say, I'm in this phase, I have the opportunity to cause people to look more like Jesus who are in the phases behind me because I've gone through it. And how am I going to do that? And ultimately, that's not even a commitment to kids and students. It's simply a commitment to discipleship. It's a commitment to draw people into a deeper relationship with Jesus because you've been there and you can help them walk through it. One of the things that's so difficult today is that some kids that are my age or younger, yes, I still consider myself a kid, that grew up in church are, are walking away because they learned this stuff, but maybe they don't trust the person who taught them. Or maybe they just don't see the fruit of it in the lives of the people who led them there. And I'm saying, let's be the people that they can see the fruit. Let's be the people who truly decide to follow Jesus and continue to do that. And we believe it's worth it through every phase. And we teach them that it's worth it through every phase. Even on the difficult times. Because sometimes we use our phase as an excuse. We say that, as parents sometimes, right? Oh, it's just a phase, they'll get over it. It's just a phase, they won't care about it next week. But the reality is every phase is important. And every phase has the opportunity to grow and look more like Jesus. And it takes the people that are in the, that are in the phases ahead of us to be able to help them grow in their relationship with Jesus while they're in the phase that they're in. So I would say to other parents in the room, by the way, when the phase is difficult, don't miss it. It's easy to want to move on to the next one. It's easy to just want to wish it away. But don't miss the opportunity to help our kids and our students follow Jesus at the phase they find themselves in. Let's pray today. Lord, we are so grateful that we have a basement full of kids right now. 
We're thankful that we have kids that fill the space on Wednesday nights. We're grateful that when we look around the room, we are not just simply one generation of people, but that there are multiple generations that are represented. And we ask that as we process this information and we think about what it means to invest in the lives of those who are in the phases behind us, that we would be committed to discipleship. That we would recognize in our phase what it means to follow you and that we would show others how to do that the same way. And even though some of us in the room don't have kids, don't have grandkids, that we would have that understanding that we would be willing to invest in those who are behind us and we would look forward to people that are in the phases ahead of us to invest in us. Lord, I ask that this would be just part of the culture here at our church where we invest in people and we help show what it means to follow Jesus in the phases ahead. And that when people look at our lives, they would say that it's worth it to follow Jesus through every phase because of the lives they've seen us lead. And we pray that you would give us wisdom to be able to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.